the book of Exodus chapter 8. Can I say there were some of you good folks who came to support us when we did our mission in uh, Maranatha Church in Ironman. We really do appreciate that. Thank you for coming. And we appreciate everyone who turned up, whether you came once or many times. We appreciated every single one of you that came. So thank you very much. Exodus chapter 8, and let your eye run down, just we'll explain what's happening in a moment, to verse 12. Exodus 8 and verse 12. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs, which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out, of their houses, out of the village, and out of the fields. And they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. And when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart, and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land that I may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man, and upon beast. And the magicians said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. Let's pray. Fathers, we settle our hearts in your presence. We thank you, Lord, for those you've brought out tonight. And we thank you, Lord, that you've placed it within our hearts to be here, to be under the sound of thine own word. We thank you, Lord, for the songs that have been sung, the songs of Zion as we have worshipped you. Lord, as we have played on instruments and sang, praises unto our God. We thank you that you're the same God that we read about in the day of Moses. We thank you, you, Lord Jesus, are the same yesterday, and today, and forever. You are the Lord, and you change not. Lord, we ask that the finger of God would be made evident in this house tonight, among our lives, within our problems, through our circumstances, that the finger of God would do something impossible impossible demand. Father, we just come in Jesus' name and we thank you for the precious blood that he shed. We thank you that we're saved by sovereign grace. We thank you that we're cleansed. We're washed in his precious blood. Settle our hearts. Settle our minds. Father, take every distracting thought from us and every opposing spirit against us, and bind it under the sovereign name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glorify your Son. For his name's sake we ask it. Amen. The finger of God. The magicians looked at what God had done after many miracles that had been replicated by their sorceries. And they realized God was real. God was great. God was bigger than all they could ever think to be. That God was still sovereign. That the God of Israel was still in charge. He is still in control. He alone is God on the throne. Notice what they said. This is the finger of God. Tells me from the outset, before we go any further, that even the touch of God, that even the finger of God is greater than all the wiles of the devil and the power of all enemy forces against his people. 
What do we need tonight, brother? What do we need tonight, sister? But the finger of God to move upon our lives. The finger of God to reach us where we are. We need the finger of God to touch us. That we again can cry, even as our forefathers have cried. Even as the forefathers of our beloved Ulster have cried. That God would come in blessing. That God would come in revival. That God would come again to our nation. That God would come to the British Isles. That God would touch again ministers from the pulpits. That God would touch every Christian heart. That God would touch men and touch women. That they would repent of their sin. And that men and women would see the hand of God move. And their cry would be, this is none other but the finger of God. And that which is impossible with man is made possible with God. The Lord had sent Moses and his brother Aaron to go to Pharaoh with a message. Listen, it's a message from God that quickens the heart through the Spirit. It's the message from God that makes the difference. It's the Word of God that causes things to happen. And we find here that Moses and Aaron are sent to Pharaoh, who has Israel, God's people, in bondage, in slavery. They're under servitude and taxation. They're under labor. And of course, they're being whipped. They're being beaten, maltreated, and maligned. And they are counted less than dogs in the sight of the Egyptians. And it is a message that changes them. It is a message that comes to them. And this message was brought, it was a message of good news. It was a message of good news to Israel. It was the gospel, a message of hope, a message of freedom, a message of liberty, a message of deliverance. It was the message of victory. It was the message that they needed to hear in their darkest moment. It was the word of God to their hearts if they had only listened. I'm speaking to someone tonight and you're going through a hard time. The message of God is this, that God speaks through the preaching of his word and he says, if you trust me, I will deliver you. If you believe me, I will bring it to pass the promises I have given to you. My word will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that thing whereunto I have sent it. And he's saying, I have spoken my word. Trust my people in the message that is brought. Notice this message was good news. The Anglo-Saxons used to call it Godspiel. The Godspiel. It's the gospel. And it means the good spell or the good speak. The good speak, as we would say. You speak something. Ulster Scots would say the speak. And as you're speaking, he's saying the message is this, that God is bringing a good spiel to the people to tell them of his salvation, of his deliverance, of his healing, of his help, of his wealth, of his strength. And he's saying if you listen to the message and adhere to the word of God, he says, it's all found in me. Now, Moses is simply a man. In fact, when God is sending him, he says, well, who will I say has sent me? I have to go on the run because I slew the Egyptian and buried his body. Someone's seen it and they're going to tell on me. And God says, I've seen what you've done, Moses. I knew what you had done, Moses. And he says, but yet I, he says, even I will send you. I will forgive you and I will send you to release my people through the preaching of my word. Do you know the greatest thing that could happen to the island of Ireland? The greatest thing could happen to Northern Ireland? The greatest thing could happen to the British Isles? The greatest thing that could happen is when men and women who are Christians, blood-washed, born-again believers when men who are preachers in the platforms and in the pulpits will stand up 
and will step out for the name of God and stand for what is true and what is just and what is righteous and will say thus far and no further to the men and women of wickedness. That's where Ulster will change to turn to the living God. Ireland will change. Every man and woman will change when they hear the voice of the Master. We need a move of God. We need a great revival. But revival will not start outside in the world in which we live in. Revival starts in the heart of the man and woman, the church that is the blood-bought church of Christ. The church has went dead before God. It has become, rather than a lion, like a pussycat. It's lost its teeth. It has no bite, no backbone. Men are standing, preaching, telling fairy tales and prosperity messages. In other words, they're filling men's hearts full of fluffiness, and there's no substance in them. And here we find when it comes to the realities of the things that are happening in our world and in our nation, we cannot stand but fall for even the political correct brigade are against us. Everywhere we go, there's an enemy at the gate. Everywhere we go, we find as Christians that we cannot, we have not any hope. We cannot see a way out. We're in bondage. Fear of man bringeth a snare. We're afraid of what people think. We're afraid of what people will say. And things that are happening and the sin and the violence and all the things that are happening in our nation, we're afraid to step up and stand out, to speak out for Christ. And we find that when we do, oh, well then you're the one who's full of hate. You're the one who's the bigot. You're the one who's wrong. Oh, but brothers and sisters, we have a glorious gospel of good news to tell the people who are in deep died sin that Jesus still saves sinners. Jesus is still in the saving business tonight. And he says, Moses, go. And he says, but who sent me? They'll ask me. He says, tell them I am that I am of sent thee. In other words, I am what you'll need to be when you need it, at the time you need it. I am the eternal one and I am with you, Moses. Moses goes and stands before Pharaoh and it's a message of good news to Israel. Listen, it's a message of good news to God's people. But it's a message of warning and judgment to Pharaoh. You see, you're always going to get opposition. I have received opposition. I don't hate anybody. I love people. But I get opposition because I speak out. I get opposition because I step out. I get opposition and people say, you're too hard, you're too forthright, and we don't want you around here because simply because we're standing for the Word of God, for the truth of what God says. And we're saying, you know, without a man or a woman being born again, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And those who are in the religious circles and denominations, they say, oh, well, then you see, that's too hard, and that's all, that's all fine, you saying that, but we don't want to change our life. We find they come against you. We speak out against gay marriage and homosexuality, the pride parades and so forth. And and we have become some demonic kind of men and women full of hate and bitterness. Brothers and sisters, I can tell you I hate no one. But I love Jesus. And to speak forth his truth. Speak forth his truth will cost Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, Lord, are you sure? Because I'll stand before Pharaoh. And as I stand before him, I know what will happen. Pharaoh's after my head, for I slew the Egyptian. And I've been hiding in the backside of the desert for 40 years. Is it not time that the church come out of the backside of the desert? Is it not time that the Christian man and woman in their neighborhood and in their workplace and in their families, come out from the backside of the desert, hiding from what might happen, but rather come out and proclaim the words of Christ? Is it not time as a church, is it not time as a a body of Christ that we stood up and stood out for what is righteous in our land? Stood against the tides of evil? He says, go Moses, and I'll be with you. Go, Moses, and I'll be with you. He didn't say, go, Moses, and it'll be easy. 
He didn't say, go Moses and it'll be a bed of roses. He didn't say, go Moses and everyone will love you. He says, go Moses and I'll be with you. Brothers and sisters, go and he'll be with you. You will get opposition. And you do come against all certain kinds of flack. And trials and attacks will come. But when we stand for truth, he says, I'm with you. Moses goes to Pharaoh. He even tries to make an argument that he can't speak right. I I, I stammer, Lord. That's the way he goes. You know me, I I have a stammer. He says, okay, I'm sending your brother with you. And as he steps out in faith, God does great things. God starts working on the enemy's heart. God starts to move. Notice here, the message he brings is a gospel message. The message he brings is a message about God. Good news. God sent a man to Israel with a message of salvation. If you look with me to to Exodus chapter 7, just over the page, let your eye run down, just we'll pick a, a verse out here. In verse 16 it says, And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go that they might serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. God says, Let my people go that they might serve me, even in the wilderness. You're going to come out from a place of comfort. But it's, it's, it's a place where there's a place of trial and the, the Egyptians are even putting a harder task on us. And he says, yes, but where did I get you to the wilderness? You're going to wish you were back in Egypt because of what is coming against you. Think about these things, brothers and sisters, because when they get back out into, into the wilderness, the first thing they do is they start looking and saying, well, do you remember when we were in Egypt, we had the flesh pots in Egypt? Do you remember the, the leeks and the onions and the garlic that we used to eat with? And yet they were eating heavenly food. Yet they were eating manna sent straight from heaven. They were eating food God had prepared in the ovens of glory. They were getting it hard. But he was saying, trust me. Trust me in your wilderness. I am with you. I am with you. Someone in a wilderness tonight, and you're saying, Lord, I'm walking with you. I'm trusting in you. Someone in a wilderness tonight, and you don't know what way to turn, and, but you know he drops handfuls of purpose as you go along. You say, Lord, I'm in this wilderness, but I know you keep turning up, but I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm a little short here. I don't know what I'm going to do. Think about it. Every night Israel went to bed in their tents in the wilderness. And they put their little children to sleep. And as they put them to sleep and laid their own heads down to go to sleep that night, they had to fully rely on the God who said he would meet their need by the next morning. They had to believe God that when they got up, he would meet their need. And so when they put their children to bed, I wonder how many of them thought, I wonder what we'll be eating in the morning. I wonder, will we have something of sustenance tomorrow? And I can sure there's maybe a husband and a wife sitting saying, one maybe to the other. When one was weaker, the other lifted the other one up and said, no, listen, listen. God said it. He's done it before. He'll do it again. He's done it before, brother. He'll do it again. Sister, he's done it before. He'll do it again. Can you see them talking? Laying their children down and saying, he's done it before. Listen, trust him because he's never failed us yet. But every single night they laid their head down, they had to trust God that when they got up in the morning, there was enough to feed three million mouths. Think about this. There had to be enough to feed three million mouths. They go to bed at night and when they're sleeping, the ovens of heaven are baking, so to speak. Every step we take, God is always a step before us. 
And he never said it would be easy. But he says, I will be with you. What else do we need but to know that he is with us? I think of Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Oh, that old hymn talks about and say, Should the death do lie cold on my bride, if ever I have loved thee, my Jesus, it is now. And there'll be a time, should the Lord tarry, that every one of us will lie with the death dew going cold on our brow, that clamminess that comes before the cold of death. And what will matter, and that which counts, is only and solely where we stand with Christ. I've loved thee in life. I have loved thee in death. I'll praise thee as long as I lendest me breath. And say, when the death do lie cold on my bride, if ever I've loved thee, my Jesus, tis now, knowing to go into eternity, saved, to go into eternity, blood-washed, blood-bought, to go into eternity with Christ, in your life and in your heart as your own Lord and personal Savior. And the death too lies cold on the bride. And the final breath is coming and death is encompassing. Yet Christ is all our glory. Oh, brothers and sisters, surely, surely this is good news. The devil must release. Pharaoh must let go. For the Lord says, through his gospel, through his Son, In his spirit, God says, let my people go. They may serve me. Here we find, if you look down at chapter 8, please, and verse 1. Exodus chapter 8 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go, that they might serve me. Let your eye run down again then to verse 20. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and come and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they might serve me. Now I go to chapter 9 and verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Now notice verse 9, and chapter 9 and verse 1. Every other time, this is the plague comes and they plead that the plague will lift. We can't go through all these plagues. But every time he goes, let my people go. And we're told Pharaoh hardens his heart. Pharaoh hardens his heart. Pharaoh hardens his heart. Now listen. Every time you read it, it'll says, the Lord says, say on the furrow, say on the furrow, say on the furrow. This time in chapter 9, verse 1, he says, tell him, tell him, let my people go. Oh, the stubborn heart, the hardened heart, God is tired with it. God has had enough of it. He says, you tell him. Don't say to him. Now, Moses, there comes a time in ministry. There comes a time, Christian, comes a time in Christian living, in Christian walk, where we must have a backbone for Christ. Tell the world. God, don't preach hard things. Don't preach a heaven and a hell. Don't preach salvation and the lost. Don't preach these things of righteousness and holiness of life. Don't preach all these, these, these things that people don't preach anymore. But what about an ear-tickling sermon or something sugar-coated, pump up their tires and make them feel really good going home? Brothers and sisters, you know what makes me feel really good going home? Knowing that God has spoken to me, even if it's to convict me 
or to convince me. That's when I'm at my best. Even when he points out my sin. Even when he points out my ways. Moses, go tell him. Be stern. Grow a backbone. Too many preachers have a backbone carved out of banana. They're melting and they're breaking at every strain and every knot. Here he says, go tell him. Why does he say, go tell him at this point? Well, in our reading in chapter 8, the Lord is speaking here. Look what it says in verse 15. It says, but when Pharaoh, Exodus 8 and 15, but when Pharaoh saw there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. So the Lord had had enough. There's respite. How many of us brothers and sisters know people who cry unto the Lord and make vows unto the Lord and do not, and defer to pay them? How many people say when a child is sick or when someone is in, in the throes of pain or whenever there's a calamity in the house or there's a, a job at stake and they run to God and they make all sorts of vows to him and they say, Lord, if you do this, I'll do that. They try to bargain with God. And when God comes through, they neither keep their vow or pay it. Respite comes. The deep sigh and breath comes. Oh, the relief of it. And instead of carrying on with God and thankfulness and a grateful heart, we harden it. And do not those things that we vowed. Pharaoh, I'll let them go. I promise this time. Oh, I promise. You ever get like that? I promise, I promise. Please. You ever hear those people? I, I promise you, God. Please, Moses. Please, Aaron. Entreat the Lord for me. It means, it's like a dog kissing the back of one's hand. Licking his master's hand. I, oh, master, please. Go see God. Go tell him. Entreat him. Stroke his face like a child. It's daddy. It's the idea of this. Stroke the Lord's face for me and treat him and say, Oh, Lord, have mercy. God lifts it again. And we find that he hardens his heart. He gets respite. Answered prayer. You know, sometimes we're so desperate in our prayer. We cry on to God morning, noon, and night. We cry on to him in desperation. And we sense that closeness because we're always chasing after his presence. And then when he comes through for us and we have chased him and without realizing from the, the darkest valley up the steep mountain uh, through the trial of it and the, the hardness of it and through the, 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 the testing time of it and the tearing times of it and suddenly the breakthrough comes we realize we have climbed a mountain with him and we find ourselves in the glory of the mountain and everything's wonderful. The respite comes. Wow! Thank you, Jesus! And suddenly the passion with which we prayed when we were in dire need is gone. No longer the passion is there, but rather we should be praising him with the same passion for answered prayer as we did pray to him with that passion that we sought his face with. He says, you go and you tell him, for I have seen him. Ah, I've got respite. I've got respite. I'll harden my heart. You see, when we read this then, it says in verse 16 of our reading, And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth. And there became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Notice this now. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice. But they could not 
So there were lice upon man, upon beast. Take the rod. And I'm going to show you the miraculous. But Lord, you've already showed us the miraculous with the other miracles. You've done even blood turning to water. The frogs that came. So he says, you've already done these things. He says, I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them the ungodly. I'm going to show those who have held you in bondage. I'm going to show them my power. You see, what happens is he smites the dust of the ground with his rod. And the dust particles become lice. Think about this. Everywhere they're walking on it. Everywhere's dust. Now it's all, everywhere's lice. It's not just a few in the head. On the skin. It's everywhere. Everywhere there's dust. There's lice burrowing into the body, into every cavity, up their nose and in their ears, on their animals and every beast. There's lice deep in the ground. And the magicians came. The magicians are known as Janes and Jambres. And they had come before when there was, remember uh, Aaron's rod was thrown down and it turns into a snake. And, and he, uh, Moses, he says, take the Moses, take your rod up. And, and they throw theirs down and it becomes a snake. And then they, we think of the blood and they, they do a similar thing with their, 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 their magic and all these things. But you see, the difference was all those may have been done by sleight of hand or by some magic trickery or maybe even in some, uh, 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 some mystical art. So maybe they were possible for somebody to do something like that who was involved in occultic practices. But this one was different. A simple thing like lice. Why was it different? Because God brought life out of death. That which was nothing became something that was living. Dust of the ground became lice. Now they try it. They can't do it. The magicians look at one another and they look at Pharaoh and they realize magicians did so in their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. But there were lice upon man and beast. Verse 19 says, Then the magicians said unto Pharaoh, Notice, this is the finger of God. We can't replicate this. We, we can't mimic this. You know why? Only God and God alone is the author of life. Only God, the creator of the universe, is the author of life and death now. And only God can do the impossible. In other words, he takes dust and he makes it lice. But he spoke into nothing and he made the words. He takes the dust of the ground. And he forms it, and he molds it, and he fashions it into man. And we're told that he breathed his breath in it. Breathed his breath into a pile of dust. And man became a living soul. Now, none can do that. The scientists are trying to do that. We're in the year 2017 as we speak, and the scientists are trying to do this. They're saying, well, we can clone sheep, or we can now grow an ear on the back of a mouse. We can do these things. We can take DNA and start to clone. And that may be so, and that may be wrong what they're trying to do, but nevertheless, they say they can do it. But one thing they can't do, they can't take the dust of the ground and bring life into it. They can't make life. They can only take life and try to expose it in another direction. Only God can do that. That's the finger of God. And see, when you think of this, when you and I are saved, we are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And only a sovereign move of God can bring life out of the death 
that we live in without Christ. Dr. So-and-so of such-and-such a denomination and religion cannot do it for you. The preacher tonight up in this pulpit cannot do it for you. You're dead in your sin before God. If you're not saved. And only the life of God entering you can cause you to see Christ and to be born again. How would I know that it's happening? Listen, you'll know. You'll be more sure than the Egyptians seeing the lice in the ground. Because it won't be lice in the ground, there'll be life inside you. Be life in you. We're told here in verse 19, the magician said unto the Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. You see, when we look at this, we can also see the finger of God in other places in the scripture. In Mark chapter 7, the finger of God is placed into a man's ears who is deaf. Christ brings his fingers and he puts them into a deaf man's ears and his tongue is tied, he's tongue-tied and he can't speak. And when the finger of God touched the man, healing comes. Do you realize when God comes into a meeting in his spirit, when God is evident here and he's manifesting his presence, do you realize when God is moving from heart to heart, seat to seat, man to man and woman to woman, do you realize when God is blessing and you're so conscious of him that as it were the finger of God is here to do the miraculous, to work the impossible in the hearts of men and women and do the healing of the body? I believe that because he's the same yesterday and today and forever. I think of Daniel chapter 5 and Belshazzar's feast and he was having his ungodly feast with the, the lords of the kingdom and they bring their vessels out of the temple of Jerusalem and they start to use them for ungodly measures of their party. They start eating wrong with the things of God and they start abusing the things of God and suddenly there appears a, a man's hand whose finger wrote on the plaster of the wall, Mine, Mine, Tikel, you Farson. Or Pares. Your kingdom has been numbered. Been weighed in the balances and you're found wanting. The finger of God. The finger of God comes in conviction too. The finger of God is in conviction. I've weighed you up. I've imputed. The word imputed, to not impute our sins onto us, means to count up, to add up, to put together, and to weigh in the balances. God looks at every man and woman and he adds up, as it were. He imputes what it is and he counts up every single sin of the, the nature. Even the, just the, the sins that we think don't count too much. The ones we don't know about. And they're imputed for unrighteousness and wrath on all the Christ rejectors. But when a man and woman is in Christ, our sins are not imputed or counted up to us. For Christ has borne them in his own body on the tree and carried them from as far as the east is from the west. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. But rather he has imputed. God counted. God added. God seen, measured, and weighed the righteousness of his Son. Perfect, pure, holy, spotless, impeccable Son of God. And he takes his righteousness and he clothes the sinner who trusts in his Son. So when God looks at me, in, even though I'm not perfect, God sees the perfection of his Son because I'm trusting in him. Are we all trusting in him? 
We all believe him. The finger of God is the power of God. The finger of God makes me think of what God must be like in his power when he comes with his hand of wrath. I not know that because I'm trusting Jesus. I'm trusting in Christ. And man and woman tries to take their emptiness and that bit inside them, that eternal aching void that man doesn't even realize and woman doesn't realize that they have. Ecclesiastes, book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 9 tells us that he hath placed the world in every man and woman's heart. The word world is olam. It means he's placed eternity into every one of us. That's why there's religions all around the world. They're trying to find God. They're trying to look for God. They're trying to work for God. That's why there's denominationalism. They're trying to work their rituals, their psalms, and they're bowing at, knee, at statues or, or whatever they're doing. They're counting beads or they're, they're suicide bombers or other ones. This is what they're doing and they're, they're trying to work their way to God. Work, work, work. Do, do, do. Jesus said when he died on the cross, it is done. Finish. Pet and full. And they're trying to work. We find that there are those in the world who try to take the things of the world and the partying and the nightclubbing and the drink and the drugs and, uh, and the fornication and, and the one night stands and the relationship after relationship and they're trying to find some sort of peace in their heart or love or companionship and it's all because they're, they're missing. You see, you see the, the Lord has set the olam, the world, eternity in their hearts and you see, it only like a sticking plaster that goes over a severe cut and after a while it falls out and we see that the cut becomes infected and putrefying. Such is the heart of men and women until they come to the cross. Until they hear the good news that salvation and deliverance and redemption is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he can fill the emptiness. Old Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in every heart of man and woman and only God can fill it. Like the hymn writer said, now none but Christ can satisfy none other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy the Lord Jesus found in me. The finger of God does the impossible. Dust becomes lace. And even the old devil and all his cohorts and the hounds of hell they see the change of a, of a man and a woman who are like the dust of the ground. The man and the woman who are dead like Adam before God breathed into him became a living soul, a living nephesh. And They see those of us who were saved by sovereign grace. They see those of us who have been quickened by the Holy Ghost. They see those of us who are saved and blood-washed and, and blood-bought by the precious blood of Christ. And they see the change in our lives. The right living and the holiness before God. Loving the Lord Jesus Christ. And they say, who can? That, that fellow from Belfast, he was up to no good. Who, who, who was arrested at the first time at 12 years of age or coming 12 years of age. That fellow there who sat in the paramilitary Sabines up in North Belfast. That fellow there who, who went and he'd done all sorts of manner of things. Got up to all sorts of trouble. Who sat in the nightclubs night after night after night. And done all heinous sort of crimes. He is a saved person. Him. Him. And oh, the devil would love to say, I'm going to replicate what Ken Davidson has. When they try it, they can't. They can't bring death out of life. They can't bring life out of death. The devil can't do it. He says, this is nothing but the finger of God. See what happens in the Christian's life. A changed life for Christ. You know what that is? In your life, it's the finger of God. 
It's the impossible working in your heart. That which is impossible with man is possible with God, Jesus said. I want to leave you with this. In Luke chapter 11, maybe you'll turn with me. Time is flowing in Luke chapter 11, please. Notice what it says here. Let your eye just run down. verse 14. And he, the Lord Jesus, was casting out a devil and it was dumb. It came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake and the people wondered. Some of them said, he casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto him, them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought, into, brought to desolation, and the house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? But you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. But if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, shall they be your judges. Notice, but if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. Do you see what's happening here? These men are saying that what Jesus has and what Jesus is doing by casting out devils is through Satan himself. This must be satanic, what is happening here, because it's not really usual what happens in our church. It's not really usual what we see in the, the norm of Christian denominationalism as such. This must be of the devil, because something is happening. But I'll tell you, brothers, and I'll tell you, sisters, what people are looking for today, the reality of the power of God. People are sick and tired of hearing of religion. They're sick and tired of Phariseeism in the church. And they're sick and tired of gracelessness and lawfulness. And they're sick and tired of people who are saying they're so full of Christ, but yet they're so full of piety. And they're overrun with cowardice. This must be by the devil. Do you know what Jesus says? That if we attribute that to what the Holy Spirit is doing, Let's be careful. If we attribute it to Satan, be careful. We're not saying that some things that God is doing is off the devil. He says, for that is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Wow. He says, you cast out devils. How do you do it? (laughs) Now, if you read, Jesus calls them your father the devil. You're off your father the devil. So the devil can work works like Johnny is in Jambres. The devil can come as an angel of light, make things look good. The devil can come in trickery and sleight of hands and make you feel like he did with Eve in the garden by one twisting the word, hath God said, surely you shall not die. That's lies from the devil. To make it okay for us, to, that which we see which was good for food as Eve did, and to partake of it. So he comes and he, he, he comes to deceive us. Things that look proper as a, well, it must be right because it must be good because it looks good. Everything that's happening in our nation, see, evil's become good and good has become evil. Right is wrong and wrong is right. That which was once uh, talked about through the, through the eyes of God, through the scriptures, is now thrown to the side. And now those of us who preach the gospel have become those who are the outcasts. And now the church is coming under the persecution of men outside and women outside who are now saying, gathering together with liberal left and elitism, and they're saying through all of these people and the socialist communists, and they're saying, you know what? <laughs> Do you see you Bible-believing Christians? 
Do you see you men and women who want who want justice and who want who, who want the judgment to be set right? Do you see you men and women who want to live for God? Do you see you men and women who want things to be done holy and righteous? You're a bigot. You're a bigot. You're hateful. I would say, Satan won't cast out Satan brothers and sisters. Don't you expect to stand for Christ and the devil to come against you and fall out with himself? You know what's going to defeat the enemies of God? When the church stand up and take the word of God again in their hand, grow a backbone and say enough is enough. We have a righteous God who will chase down every wrong. And when he does, we will see him move in his own power. I believe Ulster is the last bastion of Europe for the gospel. For the righteousness of Christ. Now listen, I have friends down south. And I have friends in churches and pastors who are going to try and help one soon do a tent mission there. They need more help there. They're going to preach that. I'm just going down to help them. This isn't about that. I'm talking about evil and wickedness in our land. I'm talking about depravity. I'm talking about the things that the church are afraid to speak out against. Take the word of God, brethren. Stand again for Christ. But they might throw me out. Join the club. He was put outside the gate of Jerusalem and crucified. He was put outside the wall and crucified for you. Don't you be afraid to go out onto him. Leave the rabble behind. Get on our knees and pray. Seek his face. And listen. He says, if I with the finger of God come. And God speaks to you. God touches you. If God comes and he says, I want you to do this. I want you to go here. I want you to see this one or that one. I want you to take your stand if God is speaking. The finger of God is saying, says in the kingdom of God, the power of the kingdom has come upon you. No turning back. No turning back. God bless his word to all of our hearts tonight. This may be challenging, maybe sobering, but I trust it was encouraging that our God still on the throne. Bless the name of Jesus.